Listeners, start your engines. Detours, episode 59. Rob here. On this episode, we're continuing our journey through the evolutionary history of the Marvel mutants with the X-Men franchise. Ten X-Men movies uh, on the 23rd anniversary of the original movie, X-23, as I like to keep pointing out because I'm obsessed with the symmetry of that and the, the poetry, if you will, of the franchise detour schedule. So this episode, we're going to be talking about 2003's X2 X-Men United. I'm joined by Phoenix Cloudon of the Film Code Podcast to discuss that one. As always, you can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. Go ahead and give us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about 2003's X2 X-Men United. Doesn't it ever wake you in the middle of the night? The feeling that someday they will pass that foolish law. I'll come for you and your children. Take you all away. Does indeed. I feel a great swell of pity for the poor soul who comes to that school looking for trouble. Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we are continuing our 10-film trek through the X-Men franchise. That's all the movies minus the Deadpools and the New Mutants, which does that? Is that even a thing? Is that does anybody has any did anybody see it? It happened during COVID. My guest and I was just saying this a minute ago, pre-hitting record. It, it ha- came out during COVID. I feel like it's just a, a global fever dream that we are just like, there's this movie. It was shot in like, I don't know, 2016 or something. Pushed, pushed, pushed. And then Fox slash Disney was just like, eh, whatever. Nobody's going to notice if we drop it now. So... <laughs> so, uh, so thankfully, we're talking about a movie that people do like and do remember. Actually, celebrating its 20th anniversary this year, uh, we're talking 2003's X2 X Men United, the first of many X Men movies with a title that just refuses to stick to any kind of convention. 
Uh, <laughs> I probably mentioned this on Twitter or somewhere in social media over the, at some point that it always bugs me when franchises have inconsistent title title conventions like the structure uh, which is why like mm-hmm. i don't even know what to do with the fast and furious franchise anymore <laughs> x-men's kind of in the same boat where it's just x-men then x2 colon x-men united then they just drop the numbers mm-hmm. and it's a whole thing but yeah. anyway i'm honored to welcome to the show good start tangent right off the bat um, <laughs> i'm honored to welcome to the show phoenix clowden of the film code podcast how you doing sir Ooh. I'm awesome. I, I appreciated that rant to start it <laughs> off. This is going to be great. <laughs> any any you care to weigh in on the the title structure? Does that bug you at all? You're just like whatever. Yeah, I'm, I I haven't paid much attention to it, but now that you mention it, yeah, that is a little bit <laughs> annoying. Uh, like, and I think I think it happens by accident yes. because yeah, it's like it's like even if you take like something like Mission Impossible, like the first. Mission Impossibles were just Mission Impossible 1, Mission Impossible 2, Mission Impossible 3. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it became Subtitles. Ghost Protocol, right. and like, Dead Reckoning Part 1. And it's like, okay, guys, like, yes, I just think it happens by accident. So it, it definitely happened here. I, I didn't have a problem with X-Men United. Yeah. But I, I do think X2 is a little weird. Well, like it, it, it's fine. It, it's fine. It gets really <laughs> annoying is when they do X-Men Origins Wolverine, which was as I'll talk about <laughs> uh, you know in a in a couple episodes from now was sort of supposed to be like the beginning of a sub franchise of X-Men Origins movies that they were going to they were going to mm-hmm. do a Magneto that turned into First Class. I think they were talking about, you know, maybe a Mystique or something and then Wolverine came out and they were like, yeah, no, we're just going to keep doing Wolverine movies basically uh, for a lot of this or the, 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 you know, the prequel slash reboot that is first class. But, but tell people who aren't listening to film code, why they need to check it out. Oh man. Well, uh, film code number one is awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's hosted by me and my two friends, Zach and Brandon. We uh, take a look at the current, year of movies and you know what's basically coming out today and we 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 dissect them we break them down we talk about their ins and outs the goods and bads uh we are diving a little bit more into some older films uh next season so hopefully you guys can check those out um yeah so a lot of fun exciting stuff we also play the game film code where we give each other clues and you try to guess the movie that we we're thinking of and it's it's been fun it's been a great run we're three seasons in we're getting ready to start the fourth pretty soon so i hope you guys check us out we're everywhere your pause must say where podcasts are sold but uh, everywhere that you can find your podcast uh we're all over the place and hopefully fingers crossed we're gonna be on youtube for our fourth season nice so, very cool yeah. yeah no i love the concept you guys have going over there uh, I came by to talk about Prey, speaking of franchises that are right. all over the place, uh, <laughs> the newest Predator movie, and that was a blast. So, uh, yeah, people definitely check out that episode, check out Film Code in general. Um, so going into, before we start talking about X2, X-Men United, what's kind of your, what, what's your history with the X-Men as a, a brand, as, as the characters? Were you familiar with these guys before the film started? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I grew up, in that era when 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 comic books sort of reigned supreme mm-hmm. so like 
uh, X-Men comics, I would say they were probably my second or third favorite at the time because they just had so many interesting stories. Uh, when you have a team with that many different diverse characters, there's so many ways that you can, you know, just go in different directions with each of them. And so I read the X-Men comics and then um, the X-Men animated series came out yeah. also at that same time. So I was watching that and absolutely enamored and in love with that. Um, and then we got the movies. And so like someone growing up, you know, reading the comics, uh, you know, playing the games, I also played the X-Men arcade game. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and you know, watching the, the animated series, these are characters that have been endeared to you forever. So to get to see them fully realized in a live action form was very exciting. Yeah, it's it's funny thinking like in a time before Robert Downey Jr. and the MCU and all of that, like I think mm-hmm. if you were a 90s kid, it was Spider-Man and X-Men. And those were like the two Marvel brands that were, you know, that you were most aware of, you were most uh, plugged into. Like you mentioned, the, the arcade game, the animated series, both of those had cartoons prominently on Fox Kids. Uh, in the early mm-hmm. to mid 90s, they're actually supposed to bring the X-Men one back at some point on Disney Plus. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, those those two, it wasn't really Fantastic Four, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, like all the Avengers were kind of they were there, but in the comic book form only pretty much. They weren't really prominent in pop culture in the same way. So it's yeah, in that way, I guess I guess we were kind of primed for X-Men as a film because I remember being hyped when that first one came out. How did how did the original film play for you? Especially, you know, it's funny to talk about this now because now we've gotten a bazillion movies. Uh, inc- I mean, we're, right. t- we're talking about, we're talking now like a week after, like first week basically across the Spider-Verse is out with like a bazillion versions of the same character in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's it's amazing how wild the growth of superhero films has uh, has taken hold of the pop culture like in the last couple decades. But because X-Men 2000 came out at a time where you couldn't even have them in the outfits. They were all black leather. It was like trying to <laughs> wrap up. Uh, it's trying to like give, give you a superhero story, but like wrap it in the, in the, in the, the skin of a, a, you know, just a regular sci-fi action thriller. Like this isn't that, that geek yeah. shit that, uh, that all the nerds in your school are into. This is, you know, this is serious <laughs> business. This is you know, Hollywood action. Um, did that, did that play for you or were you just like, like me and just happy to get anything X-Men on the big screen? Oh yeah. Like it's very interesting to me because, uh, I, I am, I refer to myself as an MCU slut, Mm -hmm. (laughs) meaning I'll, I'll take whatever they give me. I don't care. Uh, (laughs) but, um, so oftentimes I, and I come across a lot of interviews uh, that like with Kevin Feige and, and, and guys of and executives and stuff. And they credit these X-Men movies mm-hmm. for inspiring them to start the MCU. Because if you can even remember way back before even these movies came out, the superhero genre was awful. <laughs> like, like it was really, really, really awful. And so, these were the first movies that really came out and said, hey, we can try, you know, really exploring different genres with within the comic book uh, story world. And that's what really set them off to create, you know, the MCU. 
Um, so these first few few films, while I, I think they're interesting because they kind of follow the the comic book stories, mm-hmm. but they also just kind of do their own thing. And and you could tell, like even even in the first one, and especially in this one, that they were there was a an idea of trying to ground these characters into something a little bit more realistic yeah uh instead of you know just just comic book fancy and that was that was sort of the idea and i think it worked i think for the most part they executed that very very well especially in the first two films well yeah you're sort of alluding to it but like pre pre-X-Men, the only Marvel movies on the big screen were Blade, which obviously all credit to Blade for putting Marvel characters on the map in, in the first place. I, I think I, I do think that X-Men and Spider-Man were sort of more directly responsible for the MCU, like you were saying, because Blade is mm-hmm. an R-rated, super violent, like horror action, and it plays to a different crowd. It's not really bringing in little kids and opening, you know, it's not, you're not, nobody was going to school with like a, a blade lunchbox or backpack. You know what I mean? Like back in the <laughs> right, day. Right, exactly. Um, but before that was Howard the Duck and that was Marvel oh. on the big screen. And then DC <laughs> had, you know, the Superman man movies back in the seventies and eighties that kind of petered out the Batman movies in the nineties, eighties and nineties. And that <laughs> kind of petered out. And then things like steel. And, uh, you know, that was, oh, that was kind of where we were at. <laughs> Um, right. around that time. So, uh-huh. so yeah, or. X-Men, hugely important. And, and it's, they, I, even this movie, I feel like possibly almost more important in a way, because this is really the only previous, the only previous Marvel superhero sequel to this was Blade 2 that came out the year before. Like I literally, mm-hmm. like literally the earlier this evening, I just sent out a tweet. I'm like, there was a time we got three amazing Marvel superhero sequels in consecutive years. It was Blade 2, X-Men 2, and Spider-Man 2, just boom, 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 02, 03, and 04. Uh, but this is the one that really needs to kind of set the tone for this franchise and to prove whether or not this thing even has legs beyond the first movie. I think in a lot of ways, the first movie had the heavy lifting because you have to introduce all the characters, but because it's it did all the all that foundation, it laid the foundation for that, this one just like from the minute from minute one, it's just like go, and, and I think it it doesn't have to deal with any of the fat of of introducing character, introducing audiences to this is what mutants are, this is Xavier and right. Magneto, and and all of that's done. Um, how do you feel about the way that this movie just it, it just feels more confident, like right off the bat, doesn't it? A- absolutely, yeah. It feels like like. I will say this about the X-Men where I think they had a leg up as opposed to like other superheroes like the Blades and the Steels and all of those cats. It's like they were pretty well known Mm. at this point. Like I would argue Superman, Batman, Spider-Man and the X-Men were probably the most known and and celebrated of the superheroes like by far. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's where that confidence comes from is they know like we don't have to be like oh we have to show how wolverine becomes wolverine no we don't no like like no throw throw the hair on them shoot out the claws everybody knows who that guy they, is they get to that story later <laughs> right okay. yeah we'll yeah we'll deal with that later like <laughs> you know 
And, you know, the same with like Cyclops. It's like, oh, you mean the guy who can't take off his glasses? Yeah. Yeah. We know who that guy is. Like, (laughs) so yeah, they come into it with a a super uh, amount of confidence. So much so that that opening scene at at the White House Mm -hmm. has to be one of my top five favorite uh, superhero movie scenes that I've ever seen. I think about it even now to this day, like the level of of, of technical prowess and just the the balls, yeah. <laughs> really the balls of it to like be like, hey, if I have a telepath in my on my team, you know, with that level of ability and that level of, of strength, why wouldn't he attack the president? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like, why? Why wouldn't you go for that? And I think. Just the fact that they did that, and that's how that movie opens, that lets you know right right off the bat how confident they are in, in what they have. And it's raising the stakes, too, because at the beginning of the yeah. first movie, you have the Senate hearing with uh, Senator Kelly being like, there's a little girl who can walk through walls. Like, you know, what's what's to stop her from walking into my your, your home or their homes? And, you know, right. like what that kind of power unchecked can can look like. Uh, and you know, we get that in the very first scene of this movie. And I think it says a lot about obviously Brian Singer, the director of this movie and three of the other ones that I'm going to talk about, uh, beyond problematic at this point, but separating <laughs> yes. the man from the work, like he clearly <laughs> understood like he had an in with, with this, these characters, uh, I guess because of the allegory part of it, like the, you know, that you can use this as a racial allegory, as a, as a gender mm-hmm. allegory or sexual orientation allegory. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of application for these characters. And I think he, he really got that and that sort of grounded these films through character so that we actually care about all these care, all these characters, including the ones who don't get that much screen time. You know, we, we, James yeah. Marsden and, Halle Berry gets a little bit better in this movie. Like she gets a little bit more to do. Uh, yeah. But it's like it, it has to the first movie has to lay all that real fast. It's also like 100 minutes long. So it's just, mm. you're just blowing through characters real fast. <laughs> and then, OK, we're out. We'll see you in the sequel. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a big upgrade in a lot of ways. Just absolutely. And uh, yeah, you, you talk about just setting that tone and and creating uh, an atmosphere for these characters to live in, which I, I've always found weird about, you know, something that you don't think about when you're reading the comics or watching the cartoons, mm-hmm. but all of these characters live in the same, like, world. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, many of them live in the same city, but on top of that, like, they all live in the same world. And it's just like, what I think was very interesting is that these movies never once, and maybe they didn't think that they could, but they never once allude to that, Mm. that, you know, that there's a broader world with with heroes and, and, you know, villains and all of that stuff. It's very centered around these characters and their story. Mm. And, you know, you mentioned that allegory. That allegory has been there since the beginning. Absolutely. like Stanley and and um, oh, I'm gonna butcher his name. Uh, <laughs> uh, God, his other artist, I can't remember his name. But uh, Is it Jack Kirby, they, I think. Yes, yeah. Jack Kirby. Yeah, yeah. When they were developing these characters, they based them off of you know Professor X and Magneto. They based them off of uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. 
and basically this idea of uh, revolution, violent revolution versus nonviolence, right? And and the idea of peace versus uh, peaceful transition versus uh, violent transition. And Magneto represented that concept that you know you have to force your superiority or you have to force your uh your way otherwise you know what i'm saying you won't his, his whole idea was that we are the next step of of, of evolution yeah. we are we are you know greater than uh man is so we should be allowed to live that life and and xavier was always you know pacifist like no we should learn to live together. And it's been a very interesting dynamic, I think, between those two that explains a lot of, of like just those two characters get you so much from each character that we have, those who side with Xavier and those who side with Magneto. Each side, I think, has a valid point. Yeah. And it's just it just depends on which one you you agree with. Yeah, it's it's why those two are the are the foundation for this franchise in both in all its mm-hmm. forms. Really, it's why they're the most important characters for the MCU to bring in. And it's like you said, like there are varying points where both of them are sort of proven right. I mean, this whole movie. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the allegory of this movie, this whole the heart of this movie is a father, William Stryker, mm-hmm. determined to destroy mutants because he couldn't cure air quotes cure his son, and so. He couldn't cure his son of being a mutant, so he's developed such a hatred of them that he he's developed this plot to get rid of all of them. So you you could apply that to the LGBT community, to you mm. know black people, women, whatever. Mm-hmm. Choose a, a group of people that are not the majority mm-hmm. uh, and or the status quo or the heteronormative whatever. Uh, and, and there you go. Like that's 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 a terrifying thing. It's a terrifying concept when you think about the real world applications of it. And it's also yeah. it's also the perfect sort of crux of uh, a sequel. Like it's that classic sequel thing of, well, we're going to get the heroes and we're going to get the villains teaming up together to take down an even bigger threat. It's it's kind of the classic, right. you know, uh, yeah. the, I don't know why. And I lo- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, and I love that um, even in that, they don't like each other. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's very obvious they don't like each other. And and it's obvious that uh Magneto and Mystique have their own agenda, right? And and I really love how this story's written. Mm-hmm. Like I like the first X-Men, but this one is written significantly better. Yeah, agreed. Because like you said, yeah, we got the trope of, of the good guys and the bad guys teaming together. You know what I'm saying? That's great. But it's why. You know what I'm saying? Why are they teaming together? Because this guy is, I, he's out there and he's going to the absolute extremes. And it's and it's something that they share an interest in pr- protecting, and but they also are on opposite sides of, of how to resolve it as well. So... I just thought that was that was just really excellently written. And I think, again, just set the standard for how superhero movies could be done from here on out. One of my favorite moments in this movie is uh, obviously throughout the film, Stryker is mind controlling, essentially 
uh, Magneto to, to kind of get information out of him. Uh, Lady mm-hmm. Deathstrike, uh, Nightcrawler at the beginning sequence, we find out all this other stuff. Uh, I, I'm one of my favorite scenes is that conversation with Charles and Magneto, Eric, where when he goes to visit him, because like you said, even though they they're on opposing sides, there's still a friendship that kind of transcends that. Like they have their soldiers, but they're not, even though they, you know, there's certain trust among them that he helped him build Cerebro. As we learned in the previous film, he knows all about his operations. If he wanted to, he really could, could probably kill professor X, but he doesn't want to there. There, you know, there's sort of a, there's a line in the sand there that even when the X-Men and the brotherhood are, are battling professor X and Magneto mm-hmm. still kind of have, you know, they kind of want to protect each other to a degree uh, that plays out. Not great for Charles in the next film. Mm. Um, uh, but you get that moment where Charles is immediately concerned about Eric. Cause he can see that something's wrong with him, that he's been beaten up by strikers, uh, by the security people in the plastic prison, which by the way, the plastic prison, we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, that that oh, amazing sequence. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. But he's immediately sort of struck by uh, something being raw off with Eric, and he, you know, he just kind of crumbles. Magneto does. He's like, "I'm sorry, Charles. Like, I told them everything." It's like there's this, even though they're enemies, there is, you know, there there's this, they're still able to betray each other. I, I, you know, even if they're, I'm not, I'm having difficulty getting through this part, but it's just like. <laughs> You know what I mean? That they're they're still looking out for each other, kind of, uh, and, and I kind find of, that yeah. and I find that really compelling as a dynamic. You don't see Superman and Lex Luthor being like, "Oh, don't worry, I got your back," kind of, um, <laughs> you know. So they're arch nemeses, but also best friends, and I think that's an interesting. That's kind of unique in the in the superhero space. I feel like. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely, and I think um, part of that is because. They ha- they share a a much interesting or much different dynamic than say Batman and Joker yes. right Batman and Joker kind of need each other whereas you could argue Charles and, and Eric do kind of need each other but not really like 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 they both respect each other right. like I think I think Magneto completely understands Charles's point of view i think he completely understands it he just absolutely does not agree with it right (laughs) right and i think the same is true for charles i think he completely understands why eric feels the way he does but he can't go with him to that to that next level um it's just not who he is as a person and i think just the dynamic between those two like i said earlier like they're so fascinating because it almost it almost kind of renders everybody else kind of useless. Yeah. <laughs> because their it's their dynamic that makes what everyone else does significant. Yeah. And so I like I said, I do think they kind of need each other, but they it's more out of respect than it is like a necessity. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. No, to varying degrees, Wolverine, Mystique, and everyone are the pawns on their chessboard, which is why that's such mm-hmm. a brilliant device that these movies use is like, we keep seeing them play chess because that's kind of how, that's kind of what these movies are. Um, yeah. So this is the one where a third player comes up to a chessboard and it, those people Woo. listening who aren't familiar with chess, there's only a two player game. 
Um, <laughs> so somebody comes over and flips the chess chessboard over. It's like, nope, we're not playing that game anymore. I'm taking over. Uh, and speaking of, of which, I think Brian Cox brings so much gravitas to this. Like, Man. just like McKellen and Stewart are such mm-hmm. a, they they ground this. They have that, you know, they're Shakespearean classically trained actors they they bring that right. like legitimacy to this franchise right from the from the off i think brian cox is sort of a good match and kind of an extension of that same sort of casting approach it is amazing too uh, like i was looking over the cast and i was like yeah like james marsden is probably like the most no offense to james marsden i really love him especially in the sonic movies but like yeah. he's probably like the least not necessarily uh, least accomplished but like he, he he's going he's got heavyweights on, like you know what i'm saying yeah. that he's next to so like you got sir Ian mckellen sir patrick stewart hugh jackman anna paquin famke jensen like halle berry like these people got awards on their mantle yeah. you know what i'm saying like sure. it is it's amazing that this I I still need to find out how they were able to pull this cast together for these characters. And I and I gotta think it is just because the X-Men were such a hot commodity mm-hmm. at the time that it's like, okay, yeah, I, I would jump at that chance. And I don't think any of them thought it would grow to be what it is today. And this is also but, before everything was blue screen and they would composite shots right. in later. Like these people were largely on a set together. It wasn't one of those right. like, oh, Halle Berry and Funky Jensen weren't in the same room together kind of thing. It's not like that kind <laughs> of vibe like they would do now uh, to, you know, Avengers Endgame style. where like, oh, actually, Brie Larson wasn't there on the day, you know, Tom right, Holland right. shooting or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, no. It's, James Marston also doesn't have much to do in this movie, unfortunately. He's like worried about yeah. Jean up front. Goes to the, the, goes to visit Magneto with uh, Professor X, and then he gets kind of Hawkeye for a sequence towards the end, <laughs> <laughs> and that and that's about it. And then he gets to be sad when Jean is out. So yeah. yeah, if if anything, like I feel like that is probably the biggest legitimate concern that. that like criticism towards this movie is just like it did not know what to do with Cyclops, who was the leader of the team through a lot of its history. Yeah. So I think that is a yeah. is sort of a problem. And in, I, I mean, I think they never really figured out what to do with Cyclops. They never figured it out. <laughs> like, and like Rogue, I think had a place in the first movie, but then after that, here she shows up, she flies the jet in at the very end, and that's about it. And and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. That's the one drawback to having a film, especially the X Men. Like normally, like like I mean, the most recent example, obviously, is the Avengers yeah. movies, where you're like, okay, this is a ton of characters. How do you make sure that everyone gets, you know, the right amount of screen time that they have, a, you know, a place in the story? And that's a very hard thing to do. Absolutely. Um, and I think in these stories, they never really quite figured that out <laughs> no, <laughs> for not. certain characters, uh, especially Cyclops. Cyclops gets the butt end of the stick practically every movie. Because <laughs> like, it's like, this is a great character. He's obviously important to the X-Men. He's He's the leader of the team. And they just have no idea what to do with it because he's not he's not super he's not Superman. Right. Yeah. He's not Superman. He's not really Captain America either. 
so what is he? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not that he's not intelligent or 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 gifted, you know what I'm saying, or doesn't have a great power. Yeah, sure. But, you know, when you think hand-to-hand combat, there's a bunch of other people who's better at hand-to-hand <laughs> combat yeah. than him. Yeah. When you think of intelligence, like, oh, well, there's a couple of people smarter than him, too. Well, so they they like, didn't even let him be, like, the strategist, really, or in any of these Yeah, normally that's 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 what he leans on. Yeah. And even in that, they like, no, <laughs> they, they didn't give him that. Poor Cyclops, we hardly knew you, literally. <laughs> <laughs> He gets to be I the, do hope. he gets to be the shit end of the of the love triangle with the two more interesting yeah. characters. At least in his <laughs> That's awful. It is very sad. Oh Poor man, I, like I I love that character yeah. actually. Like when I was growing up, I was all about Cyclops yeah, actually. Yeah. So so like the fact that he he's gotten. I just, I just hope, like, if if they do take him into, if they do take the X Men into the MCU, that we get a better version of Cyclops. That is my only hope. I feel like they're gonna lead with the deficiencies of this version, so they're gonna like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're gonna lead like Cyclops. Let's establish him. Like, you know, you need Xavier, you need Magneto. Then you build out your Cyclops, your Storm, your Gene, your you know the, the kind right. of the core X Men. Uh, I hope that they leave Wolverine. I've, I'm, I'm sure people will hear me say this a lot in this mega series. I hope that in the MCU they kind of leave Wolverine off the table for a bit, because that's what mm. happens with these movies is that they just become literally Wolverine and the X Men for a lot of it. <laughs> and this one, I think, even more so because the main villain is tied to Wolverine's past. That's the whole follow-up. We get the the Alkali Lake thing kind of teased at the end of the previous movie. He shows up there and then, you know, doesn't discover until later that this whole base is underground. Uh, So we get like that whole reunion with him and Stryker with the ice wall, which is really cool and dramatic. Uh, That was a really cool visual. uh, Yeah, I love that. And and the the sort of the sort of poetry in the moment where he's putting his hand on the ice wall and he's like sort of you know, acknowledging that this person created me and is in a way my father, but also I hate this movie right. because look what he did to right, me. Right, right. I think that's a, kind of an interesting dynamic. And I love that the development that we get for Logan in this movie, uh, as he's really starting to to lean more towards the X-Men, lean more towards being sort of selfless and not, you know, he's having to be confronted with choosing the answers to his past, literally at the end of this movie. The, mm-hmm. the answers to his past or the ex he has that that one little kid in his arms and he's like i think i'm gonna right. stick with him you know I, I love that dynamic and you see that mostly in that scene with striker with the where iceman creates the wall and uh rogue is in one of the only scenes where rogue has anything interesting to do rogue says <laughs> um rogue says like logan come on he's like i'll be fine and she's like but we won't Mm, and he's like, right. oh, shit, that's true. I'm super powerful. I need to help them. Uh, <laughs> I love that that he chooses to protect the, the kids instead of, you know, sort of pursue his his own thing because that's all he cared about in the previous movie. It shows a lot of right. for that character. Um, and also, you know, we get this whole little, the, the whole Berserkers scene in that, in this, the school invasion sequence. That was cool. Finally, we get yeah. him sort of letting loose, which is really, which is really yeah. a big fan thing. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? The uh, the invasion of the mansion in this movie, which is sort of again kind of a hat tipped at the end of the first movie, where Charles is like, "I'm you know I have a great great swell of pity for the the poor soul who comes to that school looking for trouble." Uh, what are your thoughts? <laughs> it finally, pays off here. Yeah, I mean, 
the beautiful thing about this movie is it it has the right places to use um action and tension mm-hmm. um like because i haven't seen this movie in a long time yeah. and so like when the president told him like okay go in quietly you know saying we don't want to see you know a dead kid on the on the six o'clock news or anything like right. that so i was like okay I don't know why my brain still didn't register. Like he's not going to do that. <laughs> so like when they show up like guns blazing, I was like, what the H bro? He told you not to do that. <laughs> like, and I'm like, on top of that, like you're attacking a school of mutants. Yeah. Are you out of your mind? Like, like all of these cats could kill y'all. Like no problem. Uh, well, so and they go through like drinking kids left and right, which is right. sort of a shocking image with that that one little boy. I think he's watching TV. He comes out and he's like, yeah. "Who are you?" And he's like, "Do do do three tranks right in his throat." It's like, damn, it's it's kind of it's kind of intense for yeah for these movies. Very, yeah, very intense. Again, that's what I mean by just grounding these movies in 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 some serious nature. Like, like, yeah. If you had even kids who had that level of power, you don't even care that they're kids. You're like, dude, you got to go. Like, you're going down. I don't care because you like, I don't know what your power is. You could probably breathe fire or something like, yeah, you're going down. So <laughs> so I completely understand that. But I loved that scene, especially for the Berserker rage. Yeah. Like, I thought, oh, my God, Wolverine brilliant it's hard to believe that i think of now that people were against hugh jackman's casting as wolverine but like every time he's done it he's been amazing so yeah yeah solid now he's like at that point where we're like who's gonna top hugh jackman as wolverine to the point where they just keep kicking the the deadline further and further they're like ah he'll come back for (laughs) logan Uh, he'll come back for deadpool 3 we don't want to have to worry about it right now we don't want to have to worry about it right now. Uh, what's, what's so cool about this franchise, uh, and you sort of start to see that in a little bit in the first one, but more so here, is that you have a whole, like you were alluding to, you have a whole school full of mutant characters, presumably from the comics that fans will recognize. So you could just build it out like, oh, Pyro was in the class the whole time. And we get like yeah. characters <laughs> in one scene briefly in the first movie played by a different actor. Uh, Colossus Mm -hmm. just happens to be in there. Jubilee just happens to go there. Like all these characters are just there and then have the opportunity to have their roles expanded. I I think that's really cool. Like it's a self-perpetuating, you know, next generation. There's constantly a next generation of of mutants to add to the, to the, um, to the battle, to the team. And I, you know, and here they really kind of focus more on Iceman, Rogue and Pyro as sort of the new kids uh right. what, what do you how do you feel about those guys i know rogue and and uh bobby have their relationship that is really just kind of an excuse for for him and and the, the whole scene with his family which i think is the most on the nose this this movie this <laughs> franchise gets with the uh with the allegory which i not to say it doesn't work does that work for you or, or are you just like yeah we get it i totally busted out loud <laughs> Oh my god! I totally forgot about that. That was the funniest thing I've ever seen. I mean, she literally looks at him with a straight face and goes, "Have you tried like not being?" A I was like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "That is the most like direct allegory yeah, I've ever yes. seen in my life." 
<laughs> Who put that in? <laughs> like, that was brilliant. I mean, like, it's terrible, obviously. <laughs> because it's like, yes, we get what you're saying, but wow. Like, like that's that's very out, like very on the nose. But it was so funny because I like just couldn't believe that they did that. It emphasizes, so, I mean, it emphasizes the absurdity of when people say that in real life about, <laughs> yeah, but can you choose? Can you choose not to be, you know, gay or whatever? Um, right. It's yeah. I, like, I, have you ever tried like not being? Gay? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because that's how <laughs> those people think, and you're like, see, this is what you sound like, dumbass. Oh um, my god. <laughs> So yeah, no, that I, was the best. It's, so good. it's it's a great scene. Um, <laughs> we also get the whole, and what's cool is about that scene is not only do we get more character development for Iceman, uh, but we get it kind of wrapped into that sort of an origin story for Pyro where he's sort of on the cusp. He's like a troublemaker at the mansion, at the school. Uh, but it's really, I think the turning point for him when he sees Logan get shot in the head by a police officer uh, mm-hmm. that's where he's just like, oh, okay, this is what, this is how they play. This is, I'm on the wrong seat. I'm on the wrong side here. And that's when he goes apeshit on those cops and it's, and <laughs> brings way more pun intended heat on, uh, the X. <laughs> I, 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 lo- I love that. You know, you get that little bit of, uh, you get that turning point for him where he, even the, the minor characters in this one have an arc. Yeah. And that's what, that's what good sequels do. Yeah. Right. Because, we have so many characters. It's only fair that we explore a story with them. And I, it's, it's crazy to me that I, I think Pyro gets more story than Rogue or Iceman Absolutely. do th- this this story. But I think they, they come back to them in the next one. So I guess it's fine. But um, yeah, but you're building on those characters and you're building on uh, what you've already established and what we know as fans of this series what's to come Mm -hmm. so particularly uh when we talk about jean gray right you know we know that she's having some issues we also know why (laughs) right it's like she got caught in that phoenix force and she's messed up (laughs) like she's totally messed up so um just because i i i I always understood it at the at the time i think i read something that they said something like in the first movie when that radiation from Magneto's machine hits her, you can see she's sort of like looking off like something's like she's changed. She feels different or something. Uh, and they mm-hmm. mentioned in this movie, like, you know, ever since Liberty Island, like, you, you know, you've been hearing things and like you've been having nightmares. and You know, you have a nightmare and the whole bedroom shakes kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So was the Phoenix Force in her the whole time? Like, what do you think was the original intention here? Because. In the third one, the which you know we're not really talking that much about it, but it doesn't really follow that trajectory. It's more like, oh, I, I Professor X is like, I, I hid that away through psychic blocks and helped her help her control it, and I, I was holding her back. That's exactly what happened. I feel like it's a completely different thing here, and I think what they were doing here was more interesting. Uh, what do you? How do you feel about the way Jean Grey is handled in this movie? Um, which you know we get that sort of upgrade for her right out the gate. And how it teases the uh, the Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah, like I said, because it's a storyline that we know, right? It's probably the most famous, or at least well known storyline of the X Men is is the Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah, I think it's teased 
well. I think uh, I think having her sort of sacrifice herself was the right choice, but also because like again, because we know what's to come. Mm-hmm. It may have not been the right choice. I don't know because I'm like, uh, yeah, because you're sitting up there going, you know that she's not dead, like, right? So it sort of loses the emotional impact that I think, you know, a character death would would have. Um, so that's the only weird thing. But we know it kind of has to happen because she's the she is the phoenix, so she must be resurrected. Um, so I guess that works. Um, but overall, I think it's teased properly that there's clearly something wrong with her, Mm -hmm. right? It's clearly something wrong with her. And we see it as a burden because when we first meet Jean, she's fine. She's not as strong as she, we know she is. And, but she gets a little bit stronger. She gets a little bit more confident. But once she's, you know, like ex, like uh, once she's you know caught in that ray, the the Phoenix Force really kind of tears her apart. Mm-hmm. And we do get to see how it affects her mind, her ability, all of that. And I think particularly the scene where they're trying to dodge the uh, the missiles. Yep. And she she gets one to go off and blow itself up. But the fact that she can't get the other one to do that, like she completely loses her grip. And I think she really is terrified of herself, of what she can do and what she should do. And so I think it's played very well. Um, My only thing is that. Yeah, I mean, I think they walk a fine line with it. I think it it also follows a similar kind of trajectory to. uh... Spider-Man 2, which expertly kind of does that reveal at the end of uh, Harry Osborn finding his identity and the Green Goblin thing. And then the third one doesn't exactly do what any of us. Expected yeah, it doesn't do it. Kind of yeah. Does thing. Yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, you mentioned the scene on the jet. I like that, you know, we finally get Storm in more of a leadership role here. Again, like I was yes. saying with the MCU, like your number one priority is. Cyclops, Storm, and Jean Grey, like, get those people in leadership roles, like, have them as fully fleshed out characters. Uh, do you think Storm ever really gets there? I think she does a little better here, and, they, you know, they don't even try with the accent really anymore. Um, <laughs> no. Like, the, the first one is she's, they have Halle Berry trying to do an accent. Here, I feel like it, there's, like, flickers of it in certain lines, and then the third one, she's, we don't <laughs> Uh, how do you, how do you feel about the this franchise's version of Storm, and particularly like here because I feel like this is started this is this is our first glimpse of the Storm that like looks feels like a recognizable facsimile of the comic book counterpart. Mm-hmm. I love Halle Berry. Right. Okay. Adore Halle Berry. She's so great, and I was so happy when she got Storm. I was like, oh my God, yes. And I have celebrated her as Storm this entire time. Yes. I will be so happy when they recast that character. <laughs> uh, I love her. Do. I totally do. And I think for these movies, she was great. Mm-hmm. Right? I think she was the, just the right amount of, of what they needed for these movies. 
I do not feel that they had a clear understanding of who Storm was as a character, yeah. or, or or even as a person. There's so much about that character. Like Storm is an Omega level mutant. Okay, <laughs> she is stupid powerful, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just don't think they ever really grasped how important and impactful Storm is to this team. Yeah, and. Yeah, like they've they've always shown her kind of in a leadership role, but she's always felt kind of motherly with with Halle Berry in that in that role mm-hmm. and in these movies, she's felt more motherly than she's than she feels goddess, and Storm is a goddess. Yeah. So like, to me, that's the one thing that I hope that they figure out uh, in in the future is to create Storm fully realized as as the counterpart. That she is uh, in the comics. So love Halle Berry. I loved her time as Storm, but I think that was for that period. Mm-hmm. And as we've as we've grown more comfortable with this character, I think we can do more interesting things with her in the future. It always makes me super pissed off because you hear like these stories about in the '90s when they were trying to develop an X-Men movie and. Angela Bassett was was tied to, to play Storm at some point. I'm like, are you kidding me? She would be great now. Put her as older <laughs> version of Storm. Like, just put her in there. She was Queen Ramonda. She's, you know, obviously spoiler, right. she's not Queen Ramonda anymore. So have her as Storm. Like, I don't even care if she's older than, you know, maybe that they want for that. Like, she has the presence that you would need for that, for that role. Like, Absolutely. that's the kind of actress I would expect to be in that role. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be hard to to see. uh to see who they end up getting. But yeah, it's, I agree with you. No, no shade to Halle Berry. She's great. Uh, mm-hmm. That never really has the chance to shine in these things in, in the way that she perhaps could have with a better written character. Uh, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of characters that are, are not fully explored. I think Lady Deathstrike is hella cool. In <laughs> this has a really fun battle with Wolverine. Uh, th- who is she again? What is her deal? Um, <laughs> she's got adamantium that we know. Uh, that's about it. Right. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, right. who has nothing to do here. And it, it always <laughs> bummed me out. Like, I always thought that, you know, maybe they could have brought, done something with that character flashbacks or like, I don't know what the hell was going to go on with that. Uh, I wasn't like, I was familiar with Deathstrike, but she wasn't like, she wasn't top of my list villain wise. Uh, I, right. I see what they're going for here, but I, I don't know. If, it definitely doesn't work from a character perspective, but Hey, we got that cool fight sequence, I guess. Yeah. I think she's there purely for the visuals. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like purely for the visuals, which I think she does an excellent job for sure. Like, yeah, the nail, the you know, the adamantium coming out of the nails. I thought that was awesome. Wolverine's reaction. Holy shit! <laughs> Ten giant um, claws. Um, right. Yeah. No. She was. Yeah. And it's, she had the she had the right body type and everything. Um, it's a really brutal fight too. She's just like. It was a very brutal fight. Yeah. Her. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it was a very and a very brutal finish too. <laughs> like. I was like, "Oh, we like even even Wolverine goes, oh man, that's awful." <laughs> and then you see like it solidifies inside of her, and like when she drowns, like her head hits the thing, and it's solid. It's like, oh man, that's 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 a brutal brutal way to go. The dynamic <laughs> with them basically having Wolverine fighting a bad 
you know, a villainous character with essentially the same power set, that is 100% mm-hmm. something the MCU would jump on because that's how most of the first couple phases of the MCU oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Iron Man mm-hmm. versus bad guy in an Iron Man suit. Captain America <laughs> versus other person with a, with a, you know, a super soldier serum who's bad this time. And like Thor versus right. bad Asgardian. Um, but yeah, <laughs> they do that constantly. But then there's things like the the brutality in that fight or Magneto's escape from the plastic prison where I was like, the MCU would never (laughs) have Magneto pull trace metal out of someone's bloodstream so that he can form it into little balls, fly it around and escape his, like Kevin Feige, who was involved in these first three movies, I should point out as a producer, uh, like I, that would be a hard sell to Disney. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, just a little bit of a hard sell. Um, so uh, that Mag- Magneto's escape, is, other than the Nightcrawler sequence, oh, probably the, one of the biggest, you know, most yeah. uh, standout parts of this movie. Absolutely, absolutely. I think stands out as one of those iconic comic book movie scenes yeah. because we know this character. metal right long as there's metal he's gonna destroy you so putting him in a plastic prison genius right and they and they do spend enough time making you believe like he's been there a while his situation is hopeless right he's he's dire and like so when he gets the 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 metal you know when he finally pulls it out of dude's bloodstream there's a shot of him laying down and he just gets a slight smirk on his face. And he's like, mm, oh, that's 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 the stuff I need right there. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's brilliantly done because it's lib- it, it, he's liberated. He's finally free. He's regained his self-confidence. The score is amazing, like during that, yes. that particular scene. The score scene. of this movie in general, like we get the, the closest thing this franchise has to a, a, a main theme in this movie, John Oswald's yeah. theme here that comes back in some of the other movies as well. Yeah, yeah, so good. It's just all of that goes together so, so well. And like the visual effects in it, really, really subtle and just really, really well done. Uh, the production design, like it's, that's crazy of a, of a plastic, uh, you know, prison cell. All really executed to perfection that's like the one scene that you go if you're a filmmaker you go i don't care if the rest of this falls apart we get that scene correct i have my money's worth yeah right like my all my money is on that scene and that and they did it to perfection so i i love that scene it's also really cool because and kind of shocking in a way because we're on magneto's side like we know oh, how yeah. bad Stryker is. We see what Magneto's gone through. Yeah, Magneto's bad, but we understand him. The first movie opens with him in a concentration camp. We know he's been through some mm-hmm. crazy shit. <laughs> and so even when he's doing bad things, we're like, eh, but they had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that part of it too, is that we're on the side of the villain. So when he's walking out, he's like floating out with, uh, with that like evil smile on his face. We're like, hell yeah. Get a Magneto. <laughs> there's parts of this movie, like I, I'm sure every film in this franchise that has Ian McKellen in it, I will be like, the best thing about this movie, like Ian McKellen steals every second he's on screen. You also get a lot of like uh, fun or, or interesting character moments with him here. 
He compliments Rogue's hair, which he, she got the white suit <laughs> from the machine. Uh, the chemistry right. with Mystique, obviously. Uh, the conversation with Pyro, where he's talking, he's calling uh, Pyro says he's you know it's, it's dorky looking helmet. That's all that whole exchange, uh, and he asks him, he's kind of, I guess, priming uh, Pyro to oh, be yeah. recruited. He's like, oh, you're a god among insects. Like, what's your real name, John? And that whole mm-hmm. thing. Like, I love all that stuff. You get that this guy has the charisma and mm-hmm. enough of a point that he would it would you can see how he would amass uh, a following like you can see him leading a revolution oh, yeah. which we see more of in the next film so it, it's absolutely it's, ah, it's just so good from a character development standpoint there's a lot of great character moments like that in this movie including uh all the mystique stuff which you you know sort of mentioned we get rebecca Romain uh, with no makeup on in this in in that one scene mm-hmm. where she seduces that guy and then the, the way the dress sort of expands and kind of morphs into her skin in the in the right. scene is so great um but we get the moment with her and nightcrawler where she's he's like you know you can you can disguise yourself to be you know just like everyone else you know why wouldn't you just do that all the time it's just like because we shouldn't have to that's the kind of shit this, these movies got right all like not, yeah. maybe not all the time maybe not everything in these films and as the franchise goes on it gets m- much spottier here and there uh mm-hmm. but like it's that it, to me it's those kinds of moments why this movie continues to resonate it, you know not just the action stuff but it's like the character beats like you feel for them and you kind of understand where everyone is coming from yeah and i mean yeah you you, you hit the nail on the head especially when it comes to to magneto uh, just perfectly realized and ian mckellen i mean wow <laughs> like when you think of when you really think of inviting the um the nuances of a character into your performance dude really hit the nail on the head like he's got the charisma he's got the smarminess down pat you know what i'm saying even when he tells john like you're a god among insects Mm. you know what i'm saying it's not it's not intended to be you know just a just a throwaway comment right he knows that he's planting seeds. He looks over at Mystique and she's like, he's like, this guy's going to come in with come in with us at the end oh, of yeah. this movie. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's yeah. totally. Yeah. And like, and yeah, you, you buy into it because that guy could sell you a dream. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and the dream is, let's say, I don't know what kind of mutant we would be. Right. Let's say I could, I don't know. I could manipulate water or something like that. Right. And I'm like, that's not a really major power or anything like, you know, I don't know what I could do with that. But if this guy comes up to me and he tells me like, no, we, you know, we could do this. And you know what I'm saying? We could, we could make you, you know, above where you are. Yeah. That's appealing. Right. Right. Right? Like you have a small power. Like even John says, he's like, "I, I can only manipulate it. I can't, I can't create it. And he's like, don't worry about that. You are still a god among insects. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, it's like, come into the fold, bro. Like, it's like, okay. Like, if you're selling me that, dude, I'm I'm totally with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I just, I think he's, he nailed that sort of, he's not really like a, he's, he's not really a snake oil salesman. He just knows his, his, his audience, right? 
And that I think that that is brilliant. He's like an expert con man. Absolutely. But but he could he could deliver if, you know, he didn't have to go through Charles and the X-Men. Right. But <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's to the point that it is I feel like it's only when uh Magneto gets into the Cerebro, right? With mm-hmm. Jason and uh and Charles, where he's just like reconfigure has, has mystique come in and reconfigure the machine to kill all the humans only then where you're like all right magneto maybe it's step <laughs> take it down a notch like not all right. the humans let's let's focus <laughs> on a specific group maybe or like you know the nazis you know uh, the right i don't know group, but not everyone is bad um <laughs> so yeah it's <laughs> and i and it always tickles me watching this movie how they, first, they set up the the stakes that Cerebro is capable of killing uh, everyone because they said that in the very beginning of the movie when Wolverine goes in with uh, with Charles and he's like, "Oh, couldn't you concentrate harder if you want to find the you know Nightcrawler essentially?" And he's like, yeah, if I wanted to kill him, but you know that's not, that's not my vibe, uh, Wolverine. Uh, mm-hmm. This thing could be used for genocide. Let's not go crazy. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> I, I love that the the visual language of Cerebro that's expanded in here from the first movie, and it's basically mm-hmm. the kind of the key to the entire film. And then in the next one, that just never mentioned. It's just completely gone. It's, <laughs> it's completely these two gone. Movies that were like Wolverine's past and Cerebro, and then the third one, they're like, "What Cerebro? Never even heard of it." Never heard yeah, of it. New, new mention, who this, yeah. basically. We're, um, we're, we're not using that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so I just think that's funny. And also, Alan Cumming, we mentioned a little bit up front. Like, he's such a standout oh, yeah. as this character. He brings, like, a, a tenderness uh, to Nightcrawler and also sort of a little bit of tragedy because of, of mm-hmm. his sort of life of solitude and um, spirituality to this franchise that doesn't hasn't really explicitly ever touched on that until... That's true. I, I don't think even even now. Yeah. I don't think we've had a character be so explicitly religious. Yeah. Um, and and that's interesting. That is a very interesting dynamic that is explored here. And I think it's it's barely really touched on. Right? We just see certain moments. Obviously, they find him in a church. Right. He's praying. Um, he, he, he says a couple of prayers, uh, you know, throughout the film, Yeah, but it feels like he's being like, tested. He thinks by exactly. What's going on yeah. And it's like that he was being controlled, I think. Right. And I think that's a very, very interesting dynamic that I, I don't, I don't think anyone has touched ever since yeah. this, uh, because think of what that would mean a, a person who has this ability or any ability, really, really, and st- who still clings to faith, right? Yeah. When you could do the things that these guys could do, and you still cling to faith, I think is a very, very fascinating dynamic that should be explored more in future films. Because um, I think that's a very, that's just a unique perspective to have, and I would love to see somebody do that. Yeah. Um, Again, uh, obviously, it's a risk, right? You see that they didn't go f- as far as they could have gone with even this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that that'd be something I would be very interested in 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 seeing again. 
I think that's that's a unique perspective. I think the X Men as a brand gives the MCU like such clearance to have. I mean, look, you're kind of oh, you're yeah. seeing with, with the across the Spider Verse and those movies, you're seeing mm-hmm. so much representation for so many different groups. And I think the X Men could potentially do that for the MCU. You have one team, and you have such a diverse group of characters coming from such different perspectives uh and backgrounds and and i think i think that's that is really the strength of this franchise uh in addition to obviously all the real world applications like we've been saying over and over um i think that's yeah there's a lot there's a lot of good stuff to mine there it's why i'm it's part of why i wanted to do this mega series because it's like you know these movies we live in a a time where there's a superhero movie like every other month this Mm -hmm. these films really sort of I think kicked that off in a lot of ways by presenting like, Hey, did you know you could talk about all of this shit in a superhero movie? And then <laughs> fast forward, you know, 20 years and look at the, the spider verse movies are doing, but look what the black Panther movies are doing. You know, uh, right. even the guardian movies like have a perspective. Oh man. They do, they're bringing a lot of themes to the table. I mean, that volume three is basically about animal abuse in a lot of ways. Right. The point that I was like, right. Wondering about some people in my life, I'm like, eh, if you have issues with that, maybe you shouldn't see this movie. Um, <laughs> right. It's not where you can not pause it and go process things. Um, so it's, yeah, it's it's an interesting, I think there's a lot there for them to do oh, going yeah. forward. And I think this movie, I think still, even though we're, you know, not including the ones, including the ones we're going to cover on this mega series, ten, 10 movies, multiple casts and 20 something years mm-hmm. of, of storytelling. I feel like this one really sort of embodies all this, a lot of the strengths and very few of the weaknesses of what an X-Men <laughs> film could be. Uh, you even get like cool, fun moments like Mystique sliding through the door and like flipping off, um, <laughs> flipping off Striker or like using right. the, the powers in like cool, fun, casual ways. Like, you know, um, Iceman like blows into the Coke bottle to like chill it for Wolverine, things like that. Like those little touches. I did the, uh, I did the Muppet films like Mm -hmm. last year and there's a, I I was pointing out in, on those films, how there's like these little moments here and there that just make those characters feel a little bit real make them feel a little bit more human. And this movie, I think really gets to how to do that with the X-Men character. Very much so. Yeah. I, I definitely agree. And, and I'm, (laughs) I'm thinking back and like obviously in a world now that has 32 Marvel movies and you know the Spider-Verse movies these these really really do look kind of generic <laughs> like in comparison you're like oh man like it's got a very stale like you know uh visual palette in certain scenes and you're like yikes <laughs> right and like when your eyes are used to like the 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 beauty and the like the sprawling uh, nature of like, say a black Panther or uh, a Thor, you know what I'm saying? Like, or at the very least they, the color, <laughs> like there's yeah, there's exactly. In you those know movies and those uh, costumes and like the, the right. environments. Yeah. It's way more vibrancy and more okay. like more life to it than, than, than you see here. These are very like frame by frame, single shot <laughs> types of types of films. Uh, so, but yeah, there's, there's that. It's a very old school, uh, looking dynamic when it comes to superhero films, um, which is fine. 
I yeah, right. You can still enjoy these films, yeah. even though they're not as big as the other ones. It's just unique to see that again in, in this in this world in this time. Because I love this film. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I've I've loved this film since it came out. This has been my favorite X Men film, and I think the main reason that it is is because those character dynamics are so well done, for the most part, mm-hmm. right? Those character dynamics are done really, really well. When you think of everything that you know about the X-Men, they take the time to really, at least for the, for most of the characters, they take the time to really develop them towards the way that you know they are, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So while, while the film itself isn't exactly like exactly how the comic is, it definitely weaves its way towards creating the characters as you know and love them from previous IP. So, and I think they do a really good job. Like, obviously, in this one movie, they have so many characters, so little screen time to do it for everyone, but they get to it eventually, right? Yeah. They get they get a little bit more on Storm. They get a little bit more on Rogue. They get a little bit more on Iceman, you know, as it goes on. So... I think this is a really excellent time capsule film. Definitely. Uh, for when you're looking at how superhero films have evolved, this is definitely one of those key films that you can look back on and say, hey, I see where we started and where we've gone. And, and I think it's a brilliant uh, juxtaposition as that. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, you, you, you hit the nail on the head that time. Like, it's exactly... <laughs> It, it it's set the standard for superhero sequels at the time. And it's yes. it raised the bar where I think after this, people were like, Oh man, what are they going to do for Spider-Man two over there? Like, <laughs> and then of course that one obviously is also that was the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I would say in a bigger way uh, that people are more consistently bringing Spider-Man two up in like, what's the best, you know, Marvel movies of all time than this one. But yeah, I, I agree yes. with you. Like, it's the char- it's the character stuff that it understands the X-Men characters, even if the iconography isn't exactly the way it would look now. I mean, even in the right. um, in the first class and those movies in the prequel reboot, whatever the hell those things are, uh, most of which I like <laughs> not to be dismissive, uh, they actually start to add more color to the costumes. There's like a little bit they start to lean in that direction. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like now in the in the MCU, no with the movies that they've done, you get someone and obviously not James Gunn because he's on DC, but if you get someone with the similar capability who can juggle all these characters in the way that the Guardians movies were handled, uh, I think it could be really something special. So um is there anything else about X2 X-Men United you wanted to make sure we talked about before we uh, start wrapping up? I don't feel like we talked enough about Famke Jensen's performance yeah. here. Um, cause like, obviously as the series goes on, she becomes more of a key factor in a lot of the stories that they tell. Um, but I think she did an excellent job as Jean Grey and, um, Jean Grey was never one of those characters that I particularly followed or cared very much for it, especially after the Phoenix saga. Mm -hmm. So, um, to see that character brought to life, that was genuinely really cool. And I thought she brought a lot of gravitas to it. Um, and yeah, I thought she was, she was really good. And 
I don't, I think this is one of those films that kind of gets the short end of the stick, particularly when it comes to like romantic relationships in comic book movies. Because right. uh, it's not the strongest. <laughs> it's not the strongest, but we understand it and that's all that matters. Uh, but yeah, I just want to say that she she was solid for this movie and for this role. And I, I feel like I haven't seen her in much since then. But yeah, no, yeah. she's in the, the, the Taken movies with Liam Neeson. Right, I think. right. And then, yeah, no, she, and this is, uh, this, these movies came out a, just a few years after Goldeneye and when she was sort of the really starting to pop from that movie. But yeah, more, more of her, I, I think I'd have to double check this, but I think some of these actors are supposed to be reprising their roles in Deadpool three. I mean, are oh, those going to be, be cool. blinking? You missing cameos or like um, <laughs> several scenes? I don't know, but we'll get some kind of follow up with some of these guys, uh, which I am very intrigued by. Because, like we've said, I do think Famke Jensen and James Marsden and Halle Berry. Like, I think the casting is solid. It's the writing that's kind of uh, yeah. you know, kind of just chooses which few characters to focus on and lets the other <laughs> one just kind of be in the background. And I think that's where yeah. the shortcomings lie. Uh, since you brought Jean Grey up, I, I do, I do, I do find it really interesting how this movie goes with miss. Um, well, first of all, there's that, the, the tri, uh, the triangle with Jean and Logan and Scott, that is kind of sort of a, you know, a thing, but not, you know, even she just shuts him down in this movie. She's like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. they don't marry the, you know, they marry the good guy. And she's like, I could be a good guy. And it's like the whole scene, which I think is great. Uh, and you is so <laughs> charismatic and carries that so well. But then Gene goes into his tent and starts making out with him. And he discovers his mystique, who then turns right. into uh, Gene, Storm, and then Rogue. <laughs> <laughs> Switching back to herself. And I'm like, mystique is such a, what a little stinker she is. <laughs> like, I, 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 I love the fact that she's like, Hey, I got needs. What do you? What do you right. need to? Choose your, <laughs> choose your, choose your flavor. Like I, you know, uh, I'm flexible. Here. Um, so I, I always, again, the MCU would never. Uh, <laughs> you would never hint for a moment that uh, the Rogue right. Wolverine thing that that one does, especially after oh. the last film. So I, I, this movie, like you said earlier, this movie has balls when it comes to. Oh yeah, uh, some of the some of the places they're willing to sort of go, and I, I, I really appreciate it, especially twenty years later with all the movies <laughs> you've gotten. It's like there's something about this movie that's a little special, a little on the edge, and you're like, I like I like what you I like the cut of your jib movie. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Um, what what do you consider though? I mean, we probably have already touched on this, but what is the legacy of the X Men film franchise? What does it contribute to cinema? Oh man, uh, I think so much. Like, like I said, they brung the idea that you could dive into other genres within the superhero story. And I think that will be, that alone is probably its most lasting legacy is that we, we would have never gotten the MCU proper that we have without these X-Men movies. Uh, as as I said to you before, I haven't seen a lot of the later ones, mm-hmm. so I don't know if that legacy changed and, and exactly what what direction they went in. But I know for the first three, for for the first initial uh, trilogy of films that they put out, 
that's really the strong the strength of of what they have and then to even though i haven't seen them to the to the other films like just that longevity being able to sustain um these stories for generations right even even as we had the mcu and still having these movies that are done a little bit differently not as sprawling or as stylized as the mcu but still being able to maintain uh their own universe and and their own storytelling so I think that that's what it'll be mostly remembered for. And running simultaneously with the MCU too. I think that's the thing. Everybody was super hyped for, oh, Disney buys Fox, then Marvel gets the X-Men back. And it's like, yeah, but (laughs) Marvel's then going to put this through the Marvel machine and maybe we'll get something (laughs) special like the Guardians movies, but maybe we'll get something like Thor Love and Thunder, (laughs) you know? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I named that one specifically because I know you you and I share just taste for that film. Um, You know, like, would we get, if if Spider-Man was owned by Marvel, by Disney, we wouldn't even be getting the Spider-Verse movies. We would be getting the Tom Holland uh, Spider-Man movies and that would be it. And I, I think there's something to be said for having different you know voices in there uh different create different levels of creative control so yeah so mm-hmm. I, i'm ho- cautiously optimistic that they're not going to screw up <laughs> x-men because it's kind of as we were saying one of their biggest properties uh so you mentioned you haven't seen the i guess first class and the those three sequels right so yes. what are your what's your favorites of the ones that you have seen i guess this one <laughs> and then Yes. What what about uh Logan or Well I've seen I've seen X the first X-Men, I've seen X2, I've seen The Last Stand, I've seen Logan, I've seen the two Origins movies. Right. So the Origins movies are at the bottom. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's a clear giveaway there. <laughs> I think I think uh, uh The Wolverine is is all right. It's solid. I don't it, it's it's better, but yeah, not that much. <laughs> Yeah, it's a clear, it's a clear like, you know, evolution from X Men Origins to the Wolverine to yeah. Logan. Um, yeah, definitely. I would probably put the first X Men probably above that, and then I really liked Last Stand, but yeah, like that, that would probably be next, and then Logan, and then this at the top. Okay, no, I mean, it's whenever I ask people that about the kind of the rankings for this, it's always X Two is always in the mix. That's the thing, mm. and uh, with good reason, as we're as we're as we've just, so yeah, I, I I agree with you. Great movie, people should check it out. Twentieth anniversary this year. Uh, go back and and revisit a time when uh, Mar- Marvel was allowing their characters to pull off some kind of wild shit. Uh, kind of wild, yeah. kind of wild. <laughs> um, some of them are on. I don't know if this one's on Disney Plus. Some of them are on Disney Plus, so. Uh, hopefully they should be all Disney of them on stuff. there if they're not there now. Yeah. Um, and as for you, Phoenix, like I would, I would recommend at least checking out first class and days of future past. Like right. those are the two that of that franchise that everybody kind of sticks up for. And I do think that they're satisfying in a lot of ways, especially with some of the things that we were mentioning from this movie that like the little few nitpicks that we did have, but uh, yeah. Right. We'll circle back on that when you get a chance to watch those. Tell people where they can find you on social media. You guys can find me on Twitter at IMHOReviews1. That's the number one. And you can find me on Letterboxd under P.A. Cloudin. And check out my other podcast that I do with my friends, 
uh, Brandon and Zach. Uh, it's called Film Code Pod or Film Code Podcast. Uh, you guys can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Film Code Pod on wherever you get your podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you for coming on. Let me know if you ever need another uh, a guest on, on Film Code. I'm always oh, around. Always. I'm always available. <laughs> if I'm not watching X-Men movies, that is, um, we can make it happen. Uh, thanks again, man. We'll definitely do this again soon. Awesome. Big thanks to Phoenix Cloudon from the Film Code podcast for coming on to discuss 2003's X2 X-Men United. Uh, a film that I think still 20 years later uh, is widely considered one of the best X-Men films. But I want to know, does it hold up for you? Where is this in the pantheon of X-Men films? Is this the best X sequel or the best X-Men film in general? Let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram, via email at robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. We'll be back Next episode with 2006's X-Men The Last Stand. Uh, a, a little bit, I think even if you people that like that movie, still, regardless, a little bit of a come down from these two. But uh, an interesting conversation nonetheless, so definitely stick around for that. It's going to be a, a wild ride. We're not even out of the original trilogy left. There's uh, As of this, you know, there's eight more episodes coming. So uh, lots of good stuff. Strap in, everybody. Until then, I'll catch you at the next stop, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. <laughs>